Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, if you remember, uh, last week I had fallen off my roof. That hasn't changed. Um, but I preached with a set of crutches because I couldn't put any weight on my foot. Uh, well, I'd say immediately after service. I went and had lunch first last week. I went to the, uh, uh, the doctor and got it x-rayed. It's a deep bruise on my heel. So uh, it's not a break, but it is very painful. And I'm hobbling around. And several of you have made fun of me. So thank you for that <laughs> very much. But I will say this. I know the pain and the agony that some of you have in looking down a long corridor and saying, oh, that is a long way to go. So I, I realize that the church facility, the size ours is, some of you that come in with canes and walkers and different things, I can't say as I feel your pain, but I understand the distress and the defeat that you feel thinking, oh, that's like 50 feet away. And sometimes you even question, do I really need to go to the bathroom that bad? Right? It has nothing to do with today's sermon, but I thought, I thought I'd give you a quick update on the life of Brandon Linhart. Like, you really care that much, but I just thought I would share it anyway. Oh, yeah, Julie's playing the violin for me. We've been, uh, if you've been with us any length of time, at least during the month of November, you know we've been looking at Hannah's story in the Old Testament, actually in the book of 1 Samuel. And her story is very short. It is the first two to three chapters of Samuel, the first Samuel. And um, as we've looked at her story, we see her plight is not much different than several of the women throughout the Old Testament who were barren. And barren, in case you don't know what barren, to be barren or what barrenness is, is unable to have kids. For whatever reason, they didn't have the medical technology in that day to diagnose what these ladies had, but whatever it was, they were unable to have children. Hannah was uh, one of these ladies in a long line of ladies from Sarah in the Old Testament, Abraham's wife, all the way through. But you know one of the amazing things about her story is that God is God, and he does amazing things, especially when circumstances seem impossible. Jesus says a couple times in the Gospels about things that are seemingly impossible. He says, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I don't know that we truly believe that nowadays, especially in our culture. We have everything we could ever want or ever need. A lot of times when we go through really difficult circumstances, our first line of action is to see what we could do to figure out the problem and see what we can do to fix it. Now, I'm not one of these anti-medicine guys or anti-this or anti-that. Yes, call 911 if you need medication, take it. That's not what I'm saying. But our first response, usually in emergency situations or in difficult situations, is to go into action. When the first thing we should do would be to go to prayer. If you remember last week, Hannah decided to get up, 
one morning for sacrificial meal, and she decided to go to the tabernacle and pray. She got herself up, she got dressed, cleaned up, she went to the tabernacle. And while she was there, she began to pray. Now her lips were moving, but nothing was coming out. I often pray like that up here in the front before I stand up here to preach, is, is I pray this silent prayer. My lips are moving, and some of you maybe have even looked at me if you've been on the front rows here and said, that looks weird. Uh, and that's what Eli, the high priest of the tabernacle, thought. What is this woman doing coming here drunk? That's what he was thinking. And he called her out for it. Why must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine, he says. And she perks up and says, no, 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 please don't misunderstand. I'm not drunk. I'm actually casting my burdens before the Lord. And her biggest burden was that she wanted to have a son. We, can't, we pick up her story this week, but before we get to her story, let me ask you this question. Have you ever made a promise? This is not rhetorical. Have you ever made a promise? Yes. Raise your hand if you have, I wanna see. Have you ever broken a promise? Okay, uh, my kids, I'll give you a for instance, my kids always ask their mom and their dad, can we do this, will you do that, can you get me this? And, and it used to be for the longest time, they'd say, promise me. And mom and dads, if you know anything about promises, you don't want them to be empty promises. And so <laughs> my mode is always, I'm not gonna promise you. Because I know what it's like to be a parent now. And I know circumstances sometimes override the promises you try to make. And so I don't promise. Now I do try to fulfill my commitments as best I can, but I don't make many promises anymore. But here's the thing, a lot of us make promises. A lot of us make promises we know we can't keep. But Hannah made a promise. Do you remember what her promise was last week? She said, Lord, if you will just give me a son, I will dedicate him to you for the rest of his life. Not for the rest of my life, for the rest of his life. He will be a servant of yours. I will never cut his hair, his hair will never be cut. He will never, she, she made a Nazarite vow for her son, which is what Samson, the judge, you know, mighty Samson, do you remember we studied him not too long ago? And if you aren't familiar with church or church things, you might've heard of this guy named Samson. Really strong dude, long hair. And then his girlfriend, Delilah, not after dark, actually that's what her name means, believe it or not, uh, cut his hair. And when she did, his strength left him. So anyway, I digress. But that's the kind of vow that Hannah made for her son if God were to give her a son. Well, guess what God does? He gives her a son. Now what's she gonna do? George Owen in his book, Abraham Lincoln, The Man and His Faith writes, Abraham Lincoln was well known for total abstinence of alcohol, never touched the stuff. According to one well-known story, he was once offered a drink by a colonel in the military. And Lincoln responded by telling the man that when his mother was on her deathbed, she summoned him as a nine-year-old boy and asked him to make this promise that he would never take a drink of alcohol. At nine years old, she asked him to make that promise to her. He then said, I promised my mother that I never would, and up to this hour, I've kept the promise. 
Would you advise me to break that promise? He says to the colonel. And the colonel replied, oh no, Mr. Lincoln, I would never have you do it for the world. It's one of the best promises you've ever made. I would give $1,000 today if I had made my mother that promise and had kept it just as you've done. So what is a promise? I looked up the definition in Webster's Dictionary, and here's the exact definition of a promise. And the promise is this, a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. That's simply it. It is a declaration out of your mouth that you say, or a written down promise is just as good. It's a declaration that you will do or refrain from doing something that you've said. According to many of us, as you raised your hands earlier, you've made the promise, and many of you who raised your hands said you've broken promises. Hannah made a promise. How was she going to come through? Well, let's look at her story today. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're looking at verse 19. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. They always went to Shiloh where the tabernacle was and they worshiped there. We know her husband Elkanah was a very righteous man and he would go and offer sacrifices on behalf of his family because he revered and worshiped the Lord God Almighty of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his wives, yes, I said that correctly. Hannah wasn't his only wife. He had Peninnah, who was another wife of his. And Peninnah was able to have kids, but Hannah was not. But Elkanah loved her just as much. And he didn't worry by the, about the fact that she couldn't have children. So early in the morning, when they were at Shiloh for sacrifices, they got up once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Some of your versions say, I asked the Lord for him, and he listened to me. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer another sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait till the boy is weaned, and then I will take him to the tabernacle to leave him there with the Lord permanently. Now, in those days, the Lord dwelled in the tabernacle above the Ark of the Covenant in this place in the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. That is where God's presence would reside when he would come and meet with his people in the Old Testament. But since Jesus has come into the world, God dwells within his temple, which is now the body of Christ. That means anyone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life and who continue to follow him faithfully are the ones in whom he resides. We are the temple now, the tabernacle, if you will. And so when it says he comes to tabernacle with us in Scripture, that means now since Christ has come and the Holy Spirit has come, he resides within us. And when we gather together as the body of Christ to worship and to learn and to study and and to pray God's presence is permeated in that arena. For the Hebrew, writer of Hebrews says, where two or more gather in my name, I am there among them. And so 
If we come into a place like this and we forget the fact that God is with us, because I'm guessing at least two or more of you are here today because you believe in Jesus and because you worship him in spirit and in truth, you have to understand that God's presence is here as well through the power of his Holy Spirit. But in those days, God's presence would, yes, come upon people like Saul and Samuel and certain individuals and empower them, and they would, be, um, they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit for a period of time. David even said after he had slept with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan had caught him in the act of doing some atrocious things, he praised this prayer in the Psalms, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You remember that? Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. The spirit would come and the spirit would leave. In the New Testament, the spirit comes and he resides in his temple known as the church. But in those days, he would reside over this place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would stay. And the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box laden with gold, with two seraphim hanging over top, wings toward each other. And inside of that Ark were the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, Aaron's rod, or staff that sprouted almonds, if you remember that, and a jar of manna, as the scripture tells us, was placed in there during their wilderness wanderings in the desert. And so, there in the tabernacle, the Lord's presence waited. Wait till the boy is weaned, she said. Stay, uh, to, uh, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah said. He said, uh, stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. We will come back to that phrase in just a moment. But think about what he's saying to her. No, 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 just let him stay for a little while longer till he's weaned. And Elkanah knows that she's struggling. Just wait just a little while longer. But may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy till he was weaned. And when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. And they brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice, a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy Eli, or brought the boy to Eli. Sir, she says, do you remember me? At this point, it's been about three years because the weaning process was about three years long uh, when a woman would breastfeed her child to get him uh, fully weaned. And so about three years old and about three years later, Hannah says to Eli, do you remember me? I'm the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he's granted my request and now I'm giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. So here's the key point this morning. In case you've been waiting for this point so you could snooze or doze off right now, just in case. The key point is this, the fulfillment of a promise requires our commitment to the promise. 
Let me say it one more time. The fulfillment of a promise requires our commitment to the promise. You don't just throw your words out there unwisely. You don't just make rash decisions or commitments that you can't keep. And so she calculated what she was saying when she was praying with intent for a son. And now the Lord had granted, granted her prayer by giving her a son. What was she to do? Was she gonna be a promise keeper or a promise breaker? So here's what we know. Hannah believed that God would give her an answer to her, uh, an answer, would answer her prayer for a son and she had hoped that God would fulfill what Eli had proclaimed, that her request would be granted. That's the first point. You have to know that going into today's message. This is what we studied last week. If you remember from last week's message, she poured over this. She prayed intently, so much so that Eli thought she to be drunk. She walked away from her time in prayer. And this is the key point here from last week. She walked away from prayer with the hope that God heard and with the belief that God listened to what she said. I teach sixth and seventh grade Bible, as you already know, most of you at Penn Christian Academy. And we studied this passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. It is the Shema. Say Shema with me, Shema. Do you know what Shema means? It means to, good, I'm glad you answered me. It means to hear or to listen. Now, this is a different word than the English word to hear or to listen. And here's the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the way that passage goes. And the Shema is that verse of Scripture. When you hear the Orthodox Jews reciting the Shema, they do it multiple times throughout the day to remind themselves to hear and listen that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and we shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our, or with all of our soul, sorry. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what that passage says. And we have the New Testament um, greatest commandment, which is a slight uh, derivation of that. You know what I do with my class now, after we've gone through that, I say, when I want them to really listen, I usually say, Shema! <laughs> the kids have gotten used to that at this point. Because here's what that word means, it means to truly listen, to actively listen. When you are told something, do you actively listen? So hearing something and actually listening to something are two different things. I hear, my kids often hear me talking and it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher or mom. Wah, 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 wah. They hear noise, but they aren't listening. Is that the testimony of some of you guys? Mm -hmm. I'm guessing some of you here today are hearing me go wah, 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 and you're really not listening for whatever reason, I, I could be wrong. So Shema. Now when you hear the words Shema, Shema quoted together in scripture, which if you don't know Hebrew, you probably would never see that. But there are, there are instances in scripture where you see the word in Hebrew, Shema, Shema. Do you know what that means? It means listen carefully. So not only just listen, hey, tune up your ear, it means listen with full intent. Bring everything you are to bear on this. 
Now, Hannah is in the tabernacle. She is praying and praying and praying. And guess what God's doing? He's shamaing. And as he shamas, not only does he hear, he listens and he listens with intent. And as she gets up to walk away, she is covered with this sense of peace and hope that God has shamaed her prayer. When you pray, do you pray not only with intent, but do you pray with belief knowing that God listens better than we do? And that he hears with intent the words that come out of our mouth. That's why scripture often says, be careful how you use your words. Don't use them foolishly. In the Proverbs, it says, many, of the, many are the words of the foolish, but the wise are tight-lipped. <laughs> I'm butchering the translation. That's Brandon's version. But you'll see that often. Fools like to speak and speak and speak. Have you ever been around people like that? They talk and talk and you walk away and you say, I have no clue what that was all about. Right? Because they really didn't say anything. But those with wisdom and who follow the Lord should be people of intent and of purpose and of hope that when we speak, people should be able to understand what we say. I've not been known as, as a person with few words. I speak a lot, that's what I do for a living. I joke around with the kids at the school. If you were one who talks a lot in class and gets in trouble and detentions for it, maybe you should be in ministry. Because that is a profession that allows you to talk all the time, right? No, it really requires a calling, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not subverting the, the calling or anything, but God listens and so should we. God hears and so should we. And God listened to Hannah's prayer and in time it says, he touched her womb. Her husband slept with her as he had done many times before but this time was different. The seed of life was planted in her womb and from conception this baby grew into a young boy who would come into this world, and we have two books written about him in the Old Testament. He was, yes, a judge over Israel, but he was one of the greatest prophets that Israel has ever known. The second point is that when God answered Hannah's prayer for her son, she willingly fulfilled the commitment she made to give him to the Lord. Moms, <clears throat> I want you to think about this for a minute. And again, think about this. If you, if you had struggled having kids and you were like Hannah and you're praying, God, please hear my prayer. Just give me a child. Boy, girl, I don't care. Give me a child. I'll do whatever it takes. What do you need me to do? This was Hannah's plight. But Hannah made a promise to God and her promise was this. If you give me a son when he's old enough and weaned from me, basically is what she's saying, I will give him to you. How many of you moms, when your child is two or three years old, would fulfill that commitment? I want you to think of the weight and the pressure on Hannah's shoulders. See, she still had a choice. God had fulfilled 
his part. He listened as he always promises to do. And he answers in his way. But this time the answer came in a way that Hannah desired. Answers from God don't always come the way we desire them to. Sometimes God's answer to us is no. But in Hannah's situation, it was yes. And now the ball was in Hannah's court. What was she going to do? Well, she fulfilled her commitment. There's a sense of struggle though, right? And when we read that, I mean, I'm not trying to read too much into the passage, but think about that for a moment. After, after she had the baby, the baby was probably about one and a half, maybe two years old at this point. And, and they're back at Shiloh and Elkanah says, all right, it's time. And she says, no, 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 please, not yet. Can I at least wait until the baby is weaned? And Elkanah, who loves his wife, says, okay. But I pray God will help you keep your promise. Because promises to God are very important to keep. But here's the thing. It's not that you can't make a promise to God. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. God, I will do this if you do that. We hear that often from many of our famous characters in scripture. God, if you let me do this, then I will do that. And you know, God is super patient. One of the amazing things about God is he's willing to play that game with us. This is his grace and mercy and his goodness. See, God's not like the supposed gods of other cultures who we have to completely um, kowtow to, God actually works with us. This is one of the amazing things about the true God of heaven and earth, about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see him making so many different concessions over and over and over again to the people. This is what the whole Old Testament is about. It's, it's God saying, okay, I will do this for you. Okay, 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 I'll do this for you. And he keeps doing that over and over and over again. Again, one of the perfect examples is Moses where God meets him at the burning bush. Do you remember this? Now we paraphrase it and say, God came to Moses in the burning bush and Moses accepted the calling and went, but that's not how it exactly goes. About five different times as God is speaking through the burning bush to Moses, five different times, he has to try to convince Moses to be the one to go. Five different times. Okay, God, but, okay, God, but. Have you ever said that to God? Uh, yes, I know that's the right thing to do, but I'm the wrong person, or I can't speak clearly, or what if they don't believe me when I go back? And God says, okay, okay. Hey, see that staff you're holding? Throw it down. It becomes a snake. Now pick it back up. See, it's a stick again. Woohoo! It's like a parlor trick. No, 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 do that. Okay, and they take your hand and put it inside your cloak like Napoleon. Before, this is well before Napoleon. I know my history, but put it inside there. You pull it out. Oh, no, leprosy. Now put it back in. It's healed again. All right, so here are the things you got. You go back to Egypt, stand before Pharaoh. You do this. But what if they don't believe me? Well, all right, well who shall I say is sending me? I am that I am. Huh? Yahweh, what, what's that? Finally, Moses says, I can see you're not going to budge. No, he doesn't say that. But that pretty much is the case. Is God's not going to budge. You're going to be the one. I want you to go. And Moses goes. 
How often, how often have you known the right thing to do, but you haven't done it? Huh? You know the right thing to do, but you're, you're at this crossroads. And the right way is this direction, and the wrong way is here, and maybe there are other wrong ways. You have multiple, maybe it's not just two, but you know the one right way, but you're like, but that one's so hard, because that means I'm going to have to do this, I'm going to have to do this, I'm going to have to change that, I'm going to have to leave this behind, I'm going to have to... What do you What do you do? There is one right way. There are not multiple ways, as the world would try to tell us. There is one right way, and that way is the way to freedom, true freedom from sin and death. There are other ways that seem right. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, the way to hell is wide. And many choose that because there are so many different paths to it. See, it's just the reverse in God's kingdom. There is only one way. But in the world's, in the world's perspective, there are multiple ways that say they lead to the truth, but ultimately lead to destruction. But in God's economy, there's one way. And his name is Jesus. For he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That he is the gate, and nobody can jump over the walls. They have to come through the gate. You see, this is what Hannah had to contend with. She prayed, she promised. Now what was she to do? Was she going to go the right way or do the wrong thing? Well, we know she did the right thing. Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are hard words to chew on. I talk about this all the time. That would be a great mission statement and model for a growing business, wouldn't wouldn't it? Right? Hey, you need to hate your mom and dad. Some of you are like, hey, that's not too hard to do at this stage of life. Son or daughter? You ever get to the point where you're like, oh, no, ring your neck. But you still love. Don't get me wrong. But you see, what Jesus is saying is not that you actively have to hate somebody. What he's saying is your love for me should so outweigh your love for anybody else that your love for me makes your love for others look like hate. Does this make sense? I see parents oftentimes putting their kids in this place that God should only be in their lives. Their kids rule the roost. Their kids' demands must always be satisfied. But there is one whose demands are perfect that should be satisfied and the one to whom we should be pleasing at all times. And it's not our kids, it's not our parents, it's not our spouses. And honestly, it's not even our bosses. It's God. God should have that one place in our lives. Pascal, who was an old philosopher and mathematician from France, died a couple hundred years ago or so. He said, 
And I'll paraphrase it, and you've you've heard this term before, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us that nothing else can fit into. Nothing else was meant to fit there but God himself. And people without God or without a belief in God try to put different things there to suffice and to satisfy their desires. And it's not always bad stuff. It's not always alcohol, drug addiction, sex, and pornography, and all of that stuff. That stuff, some people try to shove in there to be their God and give them satisfaction, but it's only temporary, and it always falls short. But sometimes people put good things there, the love of family, the love of children, the love of many good things, but that's not the spot for that. It doesn't mean you were to hate those who are in your life. What it means is that God should have that center part of who you are and nothing else. Not success, money, careers, things. God and God alone. So what was Hannah to do? Was her child gonna be the most important thing in her life? She had desired a baby for years. She had been barren. This is the one thing she wanted more than anything else. And she'd made this promise to God. What was she gonna do? Was that baby gonna be more important to her than her promise to her God whom she loved? What's she gonna do? And when he was weaned, she presented him to the Lord. Hey, Eli, you remember me? I'm the lady you thought was drunk that was praying that one day some three years ago. You remember my prayer? Well, God heard my prayer. I want you to look at Samuel. He's an amazing young man. I love him but I love God more. So I'm presenting him to the Lord today as I promised several years ago. I know he'll be in good hands here because he's always in good hands if I leave him in the Lord's care. Parents, some of you need to remind yourself of that. The first time you give them the car keys to drive away from your house, is one of the most painful realizations of the moment. It starts from kindergarten, the first time you see them walk into the classroom and you have to walk away. The first time they have a sleepover at a friend's house. The changes of life that come, that that beautiful, beautiful child that you just swoon over looks at you and says, I hate you. (laughs) And then again, the moment where you give them the keys and you stand on the front porch and you watch them until they're out of sight and you're praying, oh God, there's nothing I could do but hand them over to you at this point. Please keep them safe. You see, Hannah made a promise she handed her child over to God and God's presence resided in the tabernacle and he would be raised in the ways of the priesthood, serving God in that environment for the rest of his days. You know what the interesting response is of Hannah? We don't, here's the thing, and it's the last 
It's the last verse here, and listen to me on this. It's the last part of the last verse, the very last sentence there. What does it say? She worshiped the Lord there. How hard would that be? She could have walked away in tears, and I'm guessing she might have. But it says she did something there. After she fulfilled her promise, she worshiped the Lord there. What does that word worship mean? I actually looked it up. The Hebrew word for worship means to bow low, to prostrate. No, yes? Yeah, prostate is the other one. She prostrated. I'm sorry, I always get that mixed ever since college. She prostrated herself. No, she doesn't have one of those. She prostrated. I just wanted to see if you were still awake. All right, come back to me. Come back. Just one letter difference. She prostrated herself before the Lord. You see, because she realized who God was, who God is, and who God will always be. God is faithful and just. He is good and holy and righteous. And God is a God of his word. And he expects us to be people of our word. Are you a person of your word? When you make a commitment, do you see it through? Now, listen, there are commitments not worth making. Maybe some of you would make commitments to the wrong things, and you need to break those commitments and those promises because they don't glorify God. Instead, they glorify you or somebody else or maybe even the devil himself. But if you've made commitments to the right things, to the good things, you see it through. We have a, we have a philosophy in our house. With anything that we set our minds to, we're going to see it through. If our kids commit to a sporting event, an extracurricular activity, they are not allowed to bow out mid-season, ever. No matter how much belly aching, moaning, groaning, and complaining we get, you will finish this. You don't have to re-up for another season, but you will see this season through. You committed to a team, you committed to a coach, and you're going to stick with it. You are not going to miss practices unless you're on your deathbed. And you better play with all your might when you get out there. Because if I see you backing off, because you're, you're trying to shirk your commitment, you're in trouble. Put everything into it. Colossians 3.23. See, the New Testament doesn't let us off the hook either. In all your work, in everything you do, do it as if unto the Lord rather than for men. See, in every aspect of who I am and what I do, it should be an act of worship to my Lord and my God whether it's in the workplace or the, or the store where I shop. No matter where I go and what I do, I should be a representative and an ambassador for the Lord. And as I go, my living should be an act of worship to God and God alone. She worshiped the Lord there because she knew that the Lord was the reason for her to have this young man in her life. And she fulfilled her commitment. So I close with this. Booker T. Washington. How many of you are familiar with the historical character Booker T. Washington? Once a slave, a freed man now. One of the greatest men of the, uh, of the 19th century. He wrote many books during his time. 
Booker T. Washington describes meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book, Up From Slavery. Listen to what he writes. He said, I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was to be permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. So he was basically buying himself back on a payment plan. First off, let me just say, that's horrific to even say. But back in the day, as Booker T. Washington is writing this, this deal was made just prior to the Emancipation Proclamation signed under President Lincoln, which set all slaves free and made slavery illegal in our country. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he goes on to write, he went there from Virginia to Ohio. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300, which was a ton of money in those days. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation had freed this slave from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia, walked from Ohio to Virginia, and placed the last dollar with interest in his old master's hands. Booker T. Washington goes on to say, in talking to me about this, the the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay the debt, but that he had given his word to his master, and his word he had never, ever broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom until he had fulfilled his promise. I think that's the same way with Hannah. She couldn't enjoy the freedom of being set free from her barrenness until she fulfilled her promise. Now, if you read the story on a little further, Hannah had more children after that. They are never a replacement of the one child she handed over to the Lord. But God continued to bless her and bless her faithfulness. I I would contend that God, who sees a woman of righteousness or a man of righteousness fulfilling their word to him, always comes through. Maybe not in the ways we hope or desire, but he always comes through. Believers in Christ are to be people who keep their word. Just like Hannah, we must follow through with our promises to God. If you've made a promise to God, keep it. This is one of the things that people of the Old Testament had a hard time doing, as I mentioned. They struggled to remain faithful to God. And often they worshiped idols and things that got in the way. But Jesus came, and guess what he ended up doing? As our worship team comes forward to close this out this morning, guess what Jesus did? We read in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the commands. And no, 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 I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. What we could not do, he did perfectly. Guess what? The Old Testament is full of promise breakers. The New Testament is full of promise breakers. Peter, speaking to Jesus before he's arrested, We'll stick by your side no matter what, through thick or thin. We will never, ever walk away from you, Jesus. Oh, Peter, 
before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. That you even know who I am. And the rooster crows and Peter weeps because he broke his promise to the Lord. The only way we can fulfill our promises to God are through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be a man or a woman of your word. There is no hope outside of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're placing anything else in that space, you're setting yourself up for failure. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the commandments hang on these two, Jesus tells us. What promises are you making? To whom are you making them? And are you a person of your word? Let's pray. Father, you can't lie. Your promises are true even today, some millennia later. When you promise something, you see it through, even when we fail in our side of, of, of the promise. Forgive us, God, for failing and stumbling along the way. Give us hope and encouragement as we continue along our path to follow you. God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Help us, Father, to be men and women of our word, even when the rest of the world looks at us with disdain and anger. Help us to stand, stand firm and in the truth and to never back down as we follow you. Help us to be men and women of integrity. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.